about married life tonight. <laughs> she gives me a hard time for doing that. She says, Don't, she says you're not that funny. Don't be cracking any jokes. <laughs> I, I try not to take it personal, like, you know. <laughs> She says it often enough, though it's hard. <laughs> My brother says the same thing about me, actually, so he does. That's why he moved to New Mexico, you know. <laughs> uh, it's a, a privilege and an honor uh, to once again uh, come before you and bring the word. Um, it's not something I take lightly. It's something that's uh, done with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> gnashing of teeth and all the rest. I just want to open in prayer first of all before we get started. Father God in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you and we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that you mean everything to us, Lord. You have given us life. You have given us liberty. You've given us freedom, Lord. We just thank you, Lord God. I pray that you'll take the words we share tonight, Lord. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, Lord, that you'll stir us up, Lord, that you'll plant seeds deep, deep in good soil, Lord. I pray, dear God in heaven, that it is your will, Lord, to speak to your children, Lord. And I pray that you'll do that tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You know, when considering tonight what I was going to share, you know, sometimes it's difficult to find something to say. Sometimes it's too easy. And by that, I mean sometimes God's dealing with you on a certain subject and you think, right, I'm going to preach on this. And that's not always the right way to go. You have to ask, what does God want to say to everyone here tonight? God's been dealing with me over the last while about a couple of things. And I, I'm glad to be part of a church that doesn't have the problems that, that I was looking at. You know, in 2 Kings 22, it talks about them rediscovering the word, rediscovering the Bible, rediscovering the scriptures in the house. Can you imagine that? The place where the word and the scriptures should be venerated the most was lost. We don't have that problem here. The word here is highly prized. It's cherished. But on top of that, in the book of Luke, it talks about them losing Jesus in the temple. Remember when he was a child and they took him up to the, the feast and then it says that they had gone home, Mary and Joseph, and there were three days on the way home and then they discovered that, that Jesus wasn't with them. Can you imagine losing Jesus in the house? Two very important things that we don't lose as believers and as a church. I don't think we have a fear of it, but it's always good to remind ourselves can you imagine losing the, losing the Bible in the house of God? Other things came in, other activities, other ways of doing things, I'm sure. They all filled the space. They all occupied. They all seemed legitimate at some point or other. They all seemed reasonable, but somehow they lost sight of the important things. Jesus, paramount importance. Jesus who differentiates who we are from many other faiths out there. Jesus who stands unique. Without Jesus, if all we had was the word, we, would, we might become hard people. We might become tough people. We might become religious people. But Jesus who reminds us of grace and mercy. Jesus who reminds us of compassion. Jesus makes all the difference. 
And that sometimes is what defines us as believers and changes, marks us out to this world. It's Jesus. So I don't want to, you know, just to get caught up in the familiarity, even when we look at Jesus, which is what we're going to do tonight. I don't want us to become familiar, too familiar with it to the point that we go, I've heard that passage before. Oh, I, I knew that about Jesus. Because what I want tonight to do is look at a passage in Luke, the book of Luke. I want us to look at it again and look at the scriptures. It's the way we should be reading the scriptures is look at them and see what do they say about Jesus and what does it say about us? And this tonight, although I'm doing the speaking, I pray that you'll actually all ask yourselves the questions. Consider how does this apply to me? Is this appropriate to me? Does this point to something in my life? This isn't a condemning message, not at all. This is an encouraging message. You know, and it's, it's important that we don't let our familiarity with something or our feelings about someone who's speaking or their, our familiarity with a passage or a, a version of the Bible. So it's important we don't let things like that get in the way of God's desire to speak to us. You know, the devil wants sometimes to put something between you and the person or ministry or message that, that he, God wants to bless you through. He'll put an offense in there. And I, don't want, I think it's important that we keep that in mind. So tonight, look again at Jesus and his mission, his life and mission. Throughout the gospels and the whole Bible, we see the supremacy of Christ's mission. It's a unique mission. It's a wonderful mission. Since he burst onto the scene of time in the most dynamic fashion, his actions were revolutionary and his message was one of liberty and freedom. Is it any wonder the message of Christ was so important to American founding fathers? You read their, their Declaration of Independence, you read some of the stuff that they wrote and you can't help but think of freedom and liberty. Now they do take it over to a secular sense, but in a true sense, in a spiritual sense, we have a freedom. Now look for, I wanna set the scene here for you. We'll be reading from, uh, well, we'll be quoting from Luke 4, 16, but I want to set a scene for you. I want to paint a picture for you a moment. It was a normal day in Nazareth. Nazareth, a sleepy little town. They had two horses. One of them was lame and the other one was pulling a plow somewhere. It was a town you'd drive through in a hurry and you wouldn't even see it. It's a town with old painted signs that were rusty. You know, it just, there's nothing remarkable about it. It was a hick town, as they would say nowadays. There was nothing about it that was worthy of note. Nothing you would go there to see, nothing you would go there to, to, to read about. There's a town like so many towns, but it was a Sabbath. It was one that the, uh, the locals was returning. They'd heard stories about Jesus. They'd heard stories of this son of the town that had gone out. And they were wondering about him and they'd heard from this town 10 miles away, he'd been preaching there, five miles away he was preaching there and all the rumors were starting to come in. I'm sure there were stories still circulating about his baptism, which had happened not that long before. Stories about him in the water with John the Baptist and a voice from heaven and people were wondering, they were curious. And yet they, they were getting anxious now. They were getting excited. They're going, he's coming. Now we're going to find out what all the jazz is about. We're going to find out what all the excitement's about. Apparently he was a good preacher. Apparently he spoke in a way that no one spoke before. 
the service on the Sunday started, or on the Sabbath, sorry, started like any other service. Normally what they do is they would have a reading of the law. Someone would get up, read from the law, and they would explain it and unfold it. And then they would have someone get up and read from the prophets. And that was always the one that they got excited about because the, the law was the law, but the prophets, this was about our future. This was gonna be about the Messiah. This was gonna be about the coming kingdom. This was gonna be real excited. They always got excited for the prophets. And they were nudging each other. You go on, you read it this time. No, you read it this time. And then someone stood up and all eyes turned to him. It doesn't say that he was picked. It said that he stood up to read. And he went forward and they handed him the scroll, the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And it says that he looked over and that he scanned and he was looking for a passage. And then Luke chapter four, verse 18, he began to read. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or the acceptable year of the Lord. What a message. It says then after that, it says, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day? Not knowing what he's gonna say, just knowing that he spoke like no other speaker, knowing that he had a, a reputation, but he's one of our own. And he got up to speak and he, he read the scroll and this day is fulfilled in your hearing. They paused, shocked. They were in awe of him, held their breath. You can imagine the scene. It would have been amazing to be there, amazing to witness it. His first sermon before his home crowd, first time they were going to hear him speak. Can you imagine it? Was he nervous? Doesn't say. I, I, I know I was, first time I spoke in front of anyone I knew. Did he wonder what he was going to say? I don't think he had a doubt. I think he knew exactly what he was going to say. We don't know what he said in the other towns that he had visited. Maybe he had said the same thing. But as soon as he, as soon as he spoke, and as soon as he said, this day, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing, they knew exactly what he was saying. First of all, it says, just before we read there, it says, as was his custom, Verse 16, it says, as was his custom. It was his custom to go to church on a Sunday. That's the way we would translate it. It's his custom to go to the house of God. You know, it's important that we build into our lives good godly customs, good godly habits, things that will build us up, things that encourage us. I'll be honest, I couldn't survive from Sunday to Sunday if I didn't have my own customs and habits during the week. If all I had on Sunday and then I had a diet until the next Sunday, I'd be a skinny Christian. But it's good, it's good to get those good habits into our lives. It's good to get those good things into our lives. I remember speaking to someone, I was about, and they were having troubles with their kids, and I was like, asked them where do they go to church? And they said they don't go to church. I go, how do you want your kids to know that that's important? If you don't show some importance in it. Same with praying, reading the Bible. That passes on to other people. People hear that, see that speaks volumes to them. So what a passage he selected then. 
as they stood to read, showing reverence to the word. That's what they did. That was their, their custom as well. He stood to read. What a message. This is really, in many ways, it's his mission statement. It's a familiar verse that we've all read many times, but I want us to, to read it and to see it and ask ourselves, does this apply to us? Of course it does. Have you ever been in a place where, you, where these words meant so much to you? He's come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, set me, or he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Consider these words of Jesus in light of humanity's predicament. As citizens of this earth, members of the human race, we have experienced things that we were never designed to experience. We have felt things that we were never meant to feel. We have heard things said to us and about us and about our loved ones that we were never meant to hear. So many things have happened to us as human beings, as human, in the human history of mankind. They're all the same, it's happened for centuries. We've all heard things, we've all had our hearts broken, disappointments, failures, disasters, tragedies, so many things happened that was never meant to happen to us. And into this scene, Jesus came. These were never part of God's plan. In many ways, we're prisoners of war, caught in the crossfire until he came. You know, I, I pray this is a message tonight that finds you where you are. If you're going through something, if you're going through a difficult time in your life, if you're going through a hardship, if you're in a place where you don't see any way out, if you feel like you're a prisoner tonight, I pray that this is a message that encourages you because the truth of it back then is still the truth today. You know, the, the movie was out there. I still haven't seen it. That movie, Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator, the liberator of the slaves in Africa, African slaves in America. You know, and we all admire the man for his work, but you know, the truth is he never liberated half as many men as Jesus liberated. He came to set the prisoner free. You know, with us living in the way we were, mankind living trapped, prisoners of war, as a creator of all the earth, God's heart was yearning to reach out. Remember how the blood of Abel, whenever Cain had killed him, the blood called out to God for justice? So too in our day, throughout time, every injustice cries out to God. It speaks of in the end times, the cup of God's wrath being full. There's only so much, and then the judgment. But this is still the acceptable year of the Lord. You'll actually, if, you'd, if you even go back to Isaiah 61, where he reads from, and he stops halfway through the verse, the very next part of the verse, it actually talks about, uh, and the day of the vengeance of our God, acceptable year and the day of vengeance, because the year of grace lasts longer. The time of grace is longer. <coughs> the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. You know, Yule spoke very well this morning. I really, really enjoyed that this morning. He spoke about healing. 
And in many ways, once he got into a subject, I went, that actually complements rather well. You know, and it's, it's nice to know when the Holy Spirit's got a theme. Because he was talking today about healing, about physical healing. Sometimes we also need spiritual healing. We need mental healing. We are in an emotional place and we still need healing. We are a whole person. We're not just physical. There's a part to us sometimes that people cannot see. You can put on the smiles. We walk the walk, but people don't know what's going on inside. But we have a very real enemy. Even as believers in this day and age, we have a very real enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they contrive against us in many ways. They work on us. People's comments, things that happen, things that we take in. Sometimes you can take a hurt from something that was the slightest comment. Sometimes things can be said, especially to young children, that affects them for the rest of their lives. Our enemy's been doing it for years. He knows our weaknesses. You know, they've been talking about this intelligence gathering and about the GCHQ and the NSA and all that type of thing. The enemy's been about it for centuries. He knows exactly how to manipulate, exactly how to poke and prod. And he knows exactly where our weaknesses are. It's almost like Snow White. Remember the wicked witch in Snow White? She dressed up and she offered the apple to Snow White. Makes it look all attractive. Lures us in to distract us to burden us, to weigh us down, to trap us. The conspiracy is to bind us, to, to wrap us away, cocoon us away from God's love and from his voice. Do you feel that you're spiritually bankrupt or poor, captive to circumstances, blind to anything but your problem, oppressed by the devil? Do you feel like you're trapped and no one understands? Well, I've got good news tonight. It says actually in 1 John 3, it says that the reason Christ came was to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to set us free, to deliver us. Whatever you're going through, and you only know in your heart what you're going through, and Christ knows as well. You know what you're going through. You know where you are. You know those problems you face tomorrow. You know those difficulties that will be coming up in this coming week? At the end of the day, Christ can be with you in the storm. What was the old song we used to sing? With Christ in the vessel, we can at the storm. This life sometimes bombards us like artillery fired against us, bombards us day after day after day. Many times we can shirk it off and just walk on, but sometimes... Sometimes it hits and it hurts. As he stood before the synagogue that day, he stood before the world as the evangelist, the healer, the emancipator, beginning his public ministry in these terms, he indicated its meaning, its method, its movement and its message. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus came to set us free. Came to set us free. Free from all those things that would so easily beset us. I'm not just talking about physical things, not talking just about some uh, uh, things around us, but I'm talking about those things that would weigh our spirits down, that would weigh our souls down, that would drag on us, that would pull us back, 
that would stop us from being able to express our faith in God, stop us from beginning to, being able to reach out to him, stop us from being able to praise him. That could be anything. I don't want to put names on things. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's shyness. Maybe it's community. Maybe it's people we know. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's workplace. Maybe it's just ourselves. I love the fact that in this verse, that Jesus comes straight out. There's no hinting. In this passage, he's very clear. They all, as soon as he started reading it, they knew this was the messianic passage. And then when he gets to the end of it, it says, you know, to proclaim the, the, the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They knew exactly what he was saying. There was nothing vague about it. See, if you're ever talking to someone and they try to say, oh, oh Jesus was just a nice man, he was a wise man, you know, but do church have just made him into more than he was? It's not true. He's very clear about who he is, very clear about his mission. Other worldviews might have similar ethics, they might have value life, and they might do things like this here, but the difference is Jesus is, all, is the difference. The person of Jesus who he was and what he means to us is by far different from the rest of the world. And it's important that we hold on to Jesus and keep him central to what we believe and who we are. Because in doing so, the world will look at us and go, they are different. Because it's Jesus who makes all the difference. It's an exclusive message. No matter what faith you look at, they're all exclusive. You can't be a new ager and a Christian at the same time. New agers will tell you that. So that new, new agers are exclusive. Buddhists splintered off Hinduism because they didn't like Hinduism. So it's an exclusive religion as well. It's only Christ that makes the difference for us. He's very, very clear on who he was. You know, the gospels, they aren't a history book. You can't read them as a history book. I can remember talking to Helen during the uh, Christianity Explored. And I said, we were talking about reading the scriptures and this is a good place to start and move to here and that type of thing. And I remember saying to her, all that's very good, but you have to also remember it is the word of God and you have to read it as such. You can't just read it as a history book. You have to read it and ask, as I said at the beginning, what does this say about Jesus and what does this say about me? It's very, very good at putting his finger on exactly who I am and it's very good at explaining who Jesus is. The, the gospels, they are not a complete history. It doesn't tell you about every single day of his life, but it's, if you read them though, they're an introduction to his personality. It's an introduction to who he is. You know, it's remarkable when you read the, this passage and many other passages, when you read the Bible and you find Jesus' teachings often very challenging and it's very enlightening and telling you about the Father and telling you about heaven and telling you about hell and telling you about eternity and, and telling you about so many things. And, and he opens up and he teaches us about communion and healing and, and various other things. And he brings out these great things, which are all very important. But one of the things that stands unique is the things that he says about himself. He's not ashamed to actually say that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that was expected. He's not ashamed to stand up and say, I am he, I'm the one you're looking for. Remember in the garden, he said, I am, I am he. 
He clear, clearly identified who he was. And the thing was remarkable about him as well. He didn't say, believe in God and do right. Pull up your socks and try really hard. No, he had the audacity to say, believe in me and follow me. Can you imagine it? It almost sounds like arrogance if he was a man. He even went on to say at another point, he says, you've seen me, you've seen the father. Matthew 7 in the great sermon on the mount, as he opened the, 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 the teachings and he taught about blessed are they. And it's a phenomenal sermon and great truths in it. Where did he get to in the end? He gets to Matthew 7, 24. He who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. So in other words, my words, even though I've told you about the prophets and about Moses and all the rest, my words are better than theirs. Only God could do that. It's not shameless self-promotion. It's not boasting. It's not pride. Unless he's God. He is God. This is not a faith built on a system or a religion or a church or a philosophy or anything else that might change. This is a faith that's based on a person. C.S. Lewis in his autobiography, he wrote about how he rationalized and he analyzed all the world faiths and atheism and all the others. And he, he thought about them and he, he came to the conclusion that, that there must be some sort of God. And then he came to the conclusion that only Christ was God. At the end of his first chapter, he said, kick, he practically said, kicking and screaming, he became most reluctant convert in Christendom. But in chapter two, he started off by saying, I thought I came to a place, but I realized I came to a person. As Yule said this morning, Jesus is still in the healing business. He's still in the miracle working business and he is still in the business of delivering. He still wants to deliver us. You know, there's two threads to this message, two parts to it, as it were. Um, one involves him and the other involves us. The poor, the captives, the blind and the oppressed. What do you face this week? Has the enemy caught you in a snare? Has he built a fortress in your thoughts? Fears and doubts? Has he got a hold in you? Has he caused you to have a, a hard heart or a stiff neck? Have you become caught in a religion or religious stuff as Mary and Joseph did in the lost Jesus? Where are you tonight? Jesus wants to loose the chains that hold you and open your eyes and pour out his favor upon you. You know, when I was thinking about these passages and I was thinking about each of those parts there, of course, I've mentioned about the prisoner of war idea, you know, the captives being set free. And I thought about that, that one line there, the recovering of sight to the blind. Sometimes we can have things happen to us. We can be in situations and it seems like our problem is the biggest thing in the world. Did anyone ever see the movie Open Water? No one's going to admit it. It's the, the movie about uh, the people who are on a boat. It's based on a true story. They've, they were playing around on the boat, fell off the boat in the water and couldn't get back onto the boat. And they were in the middle of the ocean. 
and they had no way of climbing up to it because they were wet and they were slipping off and it was how they slowly one by one died. <laughs> Depressing movie really, but um, <laughs> two and a half hours, I'll never get back. But um, it was almost as bad as 127 hours, dear six. But anyway, they, in this movie, they fell into the water and they looked out and they, there was no one around. They're in the middle of nowhere, middle of the ocean. Sometimes our problems can be like that. You know, we're in the middle of the ocean and you can't see no one around. All you see is the big boat and I can't get on the boat. You know, I've been in a place before where I see no way out. I've been in a place before where it was very dark, a place of bondage, a place of trouble. And the only one who could help me, the really the only one who could help me was Jesus. I can remember calling out to him like I'd never called out before. You know, they talk about laying hold on the altar, laying hold. I tell you, I've laid hold like there was nothing else to hold on to. I've been there and I've known what it's like to be in a dark place, to come home at night from work, turn out the lights and sit in the corner. I've known it. But I've also known his delivering hand. I've known the freedom and liberty he brought, just like that. I, I can remember pacing the floors, praying, because I, my, my, I put in a whole lot of spir- spiritual stuff, a whole lot of scriptures, and I was still in that place. And I can remember pacing the floors and praying, and I can remember just like that, something broke. Something the old time Pentecost we used to speak about all the time, you know, about the unction of the Spirit, about driving us to our knees, driving us to seek God. You always talking about it today, praying at four o'clock in the morning. You know, we, we, we need that sometimes, just to lay hold on God. I, you know what? I'm in a dark place. I need God. He is the only one who can help. We need, sometimes I think we need to get to the end of our tether really quick. Jesus is the other part of this thread. And he came not just to talk, not just to proclaim, but to do. He was preaching good tidings, but he was bringing liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, the set at liberty those who are oppressed. It says in John 8, 36, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It doesn't say set free, because if you're set free, you can be bound up again. Sometimes God can free you from something and then you let yourself get caught back up in it, but you're still free. You have to lay hold on that freedom. It says in John 10, 10, we all are very familiar with it. The thief comes not but for to kill, to steal and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life. What a God we have. I want to encourage us all just to, to, to trust him, to call out to him, to lay hold on him, to seek him. Listen, there is a time whenever there's things come against us and even individ- especially individually where we can't answer it, we can't come up with a solution. It's important at that time that we remember to call out to him because he has promised. I would love to have been there that day. I'd love to have heard the sermon. I'd love to have seen the reaction of the people, seen how they responded. It actually says there that he, um, yes, at verse 22, and it says, all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Marveled at it. That was the remarkable thing. He spoke with authority, but he had grace about him. There was something about the way he taught. 
We are men, so we don't speak with so much authority sometimes. Sometimes we speak and it's like, I hope this is right. <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, <laughs> but we speak in a frail, fault, faulting way. But he came along and he spoke with confidence and with assurance. And people noticed the grace about him. And that's important for us to hold him as central so we can speak to each other and to others with grace. Some were amazed at his gracious words. He is offering deliverance, he's freedom, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed. Can you imagine? This was the Messiah, this is what they expected. But others said, is not this Joseph's son? They were familiar with him. They, they knew him from around town. They knew that his dad was the one who fixed the table in the kitchen. They, they knew him. He'd grown up. He'd had sleepovers at their house. They, his kids had played with theirs and they'd all been down at the stream getting wet. Remember that day they came all back in mucky and you know, they were familiar. And familiarity is not necessarily a bad thing if you keep a reverence, but there's a familiarity that breeds contempt. And their familiarity with Jesus was meant that they discounted the message. Just as I said at the beginning there, I made the point of saying sometimes the, the messenger or the delivery can affect how we take the message in this same way because of the way they perceived Jesus and what they thought of him. And they thought, oh, he's just one of us. They didn't receive the message. Is it any wonder the few, not too long later that they says actually he couldn't do any miracles in his town? So this week, I just want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself facing, to remember that Jesus is here. Remember that he has come to, to free us. He's come to proclaim good news. He has to set the, uh, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is the Great Commission. This is what the commission that he was given, not the one we were given, the one that he was given. And this is wonderful. It's amazing whenever you can get the idea, get the reality of it into our lives. No matter what you face, no matter what problem it is, no matter what hardship comes against you, whether it is something that's just purely emotional or whether it's something that's put on you by your boss or your neighbors or your friends or your bank manager or whoever, doesn't matter. You can still have freedom in the middle of it. You can still have deliverance because something that weighs down on you is not good and God came to set us free and deliver us.